Connecting Indigenous musicians and artists to the world. Welcome to Indigenous Superstars with your host, Rhonda Head. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show tonight. I'm coming to you live from Bigetti, Manitoba, the heart of Opaskia Cree Nation. And I just want to um, say how much fun I had interviewing Felipe Rose on Monday. We had a great time. Uh, Felipe is the, the Indian guy off of the village people, and he sang YMCA. So he, so he got me to uh, table dance doing the YMCA, and it was so much fun. And uh, we had a great time I'm interviewing him. And if you want to check out that that la the last interview I had, go to my YouTube channel. You could subscribe to, to it. It's Rhonda Head, and you'll find uh, the interview there with Felipe Rose. And we, uh, he has such an incredible career, and and uh, and now he's uh, he's going so he's gone solo, and he's a big big supporter of Indigenous musicians, and and uh, he's he's a great mentor for a lot of us. So thank you for being on the show on Monday, Felipe. It was so much fun interviewing you. Um, this, um, I just want to mention that uh, I want to thank uh, Stay at Home Manitoba from the, I got a grant from the provincial government to fund the show. I bought some new equipment and, and uh, getting a new website built. So I just want to give a shout out to the Manitoba government for, for the Manitoba Stay at Home program. And, and there's a lot of organizations that, um, taking advantage of the grant and, and uh, employing a lot of art, uh, artists throughout Manitoba and, and throughout the country. So I want to thank them for for supporting us artists that, that really need to be, that miss performing and miss performing in front of a crowd. But but now the new norm is performing in front of the, of the camera and performing virtually. So thank you very much for, for hiring, hiring the, the artists and keeping keeping the music going and 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 uh not let, not letting it stop so i just want to um say that tonight is my 61st show i started off interviewing indigenous musicians and then uh after i got the grant i broadened uh, my list of artists to to perform to interview sorry and Part of the expansion includes people from the Palo Trail, uh, indigenous designers, and eventually I'm going to interview um, indigenous people in the film industry. So I'm really looking forward to that. And there's so many amazing artists and, and dancers and singers in, in, in our nation, and we know that. And, and I'm happy that I'm giving them a platform to, to share their stories and their, their talent. And, and uh, I have a really amazing guest tonight, and I'm really excited that, that um, he agreed to be, be interviewed today. And, and I just wrote something really quick before I bring him on. Uh, the Palo Trail has its own celebrities, and, and, the, and, and the people that follow the Palo Trail uh, know that it's true. Like There's uh, um, famous dancers and singers and and they're they're just right on top of their game and 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 uh it's it's uh hello hello randy decora thanks for tuning in he says it's a, his first time watching <laughs> so so we know that that there, there's a really uh, awesome 
singers and polo dancers that are really on top of their game and they train hard and practice and 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 those are our own celebrities in the polo trail you know from champion singers to champions to mc that entertain and keep the polo flowing the stories and the history that is passed down needs to be told and shared. That is why I started interviewing Powell people. And in my eyes, they're, they're also Indigenous superstars. So I want to uh, bring on my guest, who's who's a, a decorated veteran, a, a world champion dancer who's well-versed in the Powell Trail and has lots of knowledge and lots of stories to tell and is very well respected in the Apollo Trail and a very good friend of mine, Mr. Boylet. Hey, welcome to Ooh. Indigenous Superstars. Ah, ho, ah, ho. So, boy, where, where, are you coming from? where are you coming live from? Albuquerque, New Mexico, about uh, 40 degrees down here. Uh, we had a little bit of snow uh, yesterday. It melted uh, about an hour, but give us some of that moisture. We sure could use some of that snow down here. <laughs> oh, my God. I think we have, like, I don't know, maybe five feet of snow. And <clears throat> let's see. I'll tell you. It's minus 26 degrees right now and lots of – and it's cold. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Well, I want to thank Randy, you, Rhonda, for giving me an opportunity to come on the air tonight. and. Uh, share perhaps a few stories or, you know, what, what's kind of happening across the uh, Indian country or we say uh, power country. Of course, the COVID has kind of affected a lot of our travels and, and uh, basically, you know, isolated everyone for a while. But hopefully it's a time that we can start, uh, you know, working on new outfits, new regalia and uh, new songs for a lot of the singers. I know a lot of them, uh, we keep in touch by phone. I'm not a Facebook kind of guy, but uh, on the internet and uh, texting and phone, basically my only communication today. So I feel bad today because, you know, we've lost so many friends, uh, especially a lot of legends in the power world over the last uh, year or so. I feel bad because uh, I can't attend their funerals or help them. And kind of sad, you know, because uh, a lot of these young guys that used to travel with me, uh, they'd always say, you know, when your time comes, you know, we're going to take care of you. But lo and behold, uh, you know, they all leaving before me. And it, it's sad, you know, it's kind of a statement of what is happening now today in the Indian world. And, and especially in the power world, we've perhaps lost about 50 legends in the last uh, eight months and uh, continue to climb. You know, we're all worried about this, this new COVID, this new wave that's coming in. And, uh, you know, we hope that uh, and pray. We all hope and pray that uh, times will get better. Uh, that's yeah, so true. That's true. Yeah, I just, uh, like I say, I just give a shout out to a lot of my friends out there that uh, that have uh, families, you know, that are still hurting today. And uh, I pray that their legacy, their stories, you know, will remain. That's kind of what I see in my purpose today is trying to preserve a lot of the old ways, a lot of the traditions of long ago and keep that instilled in a lot of our uh, dances today, a lot of our power. So, yeah, I feel pretty bad today of losing some big champions. I lost one of my boys there in Manitoba. You know, they buried him last week, uh, Preston Paggi. You know, he was a world champion uh, hoop dancer, two-time world champion and 
one of my star students, you know, he won a lot of accolades and, you know, I want to say, you know, little brother, you know, travel well, all I, all I can say. And to the Paji family, to the people of Manitoba, you know, it's a, it's a big loss. So, again, for yeah. many families around the country, I, I feel pretty bad about it. Yeah, it's a really tough time right now, for sure, for for everybody, not not only our our nation, but but all the whole world is like we like we really are all in this together. And and I know we lost community members in, in my community of OCN too. And and um, and you just brought me to to you jogged my memory of, of um, <clears throat> the reason why I wanted to start interviewing people on the Apollo Trail is, is because. You know, like like you said, uh, the the Paolo, some of the Paolo legends have have left us to go to this onto the spirit world, and for me, it's a, I I want to start interviewing people on the Paolo Trail uh, to so we can hear their stories and and hear their history of the tribe that they come from, and to hear about the the dancing, the singing, and how how beautiful and how spiritual it is, and and it's such a beautiful way of life, and and. Um, you know, when when I interview people such as yourself, we have so much knowledge, and uh, I'm can't wait to hear what you're gonna share with that uh, with us tonight. So, so I'm gonna get on with um, the question. Oh, uh, Randy Decora said, "Hello, aho, lad." <laughs> yeah, good brother, of mine, another Vietnam, another veteran from Winnebago, Nebraska. I do a lot of work down in their community. I've emceed there powers many years but primary function in my going down there is uh sharing a lot of our history because the Winnebago's Nebraska and the whole chunk of Wisconsin are basically the same just by treaty that we've been separated just like the the tribes in Canada many decrees you know across Canada from British Columbia to Nova Scotia you know you look at all the different various bands of the decrees well same holds true for the Hochungada and the Winnebago we are the same I, speak a similar language, or I should say identical language, but uh, I do want to, you know, think in a good way of a lot of my brothers and sisters down in Winnebago and Nebraska, and they hold uh, perhaps the oldest powwow in North America. I believe it's about the 154th annual celebration or 55th, something like that, but it is the oldest powwow in the world, so I just want to give a shout out to all my... Yep, yep. Yeah, I attended that Paolo and it was beautiful. One of the beautifulest Paolo's that, that I've ever I ever attended. It was awesome. That was when uh, Stony Park was in the rage, I think, back then. I remember yeah, that. Yeah. that was back in yeah. the 90s, yeah. Yeah, that yeah, was, was a good that, time. Yeah, it sure was. So I want to get into asking you some questions. Um, I know we, we've done a couple, few shows in the past, when you're up in northern Manitoba, and, and uh, when you're talking to the to the audience, you'd always say um, you'd always say that Paolo was a way of life. Can you can you tell us about that? Well, the origin of Paolo, when we talk back to the beginning, you know, as we know Paolo today, I would have to credit back to probably about 1600, when uh, you know, as far as recorded history, and according to a lot of oral history. Uh, Pawa started, I would say, among the Omaha people. I know some of my Eastern brothers would probably disagree, disagree in, in part because the influx or the introduction of a lot of the pilgrims and the people from Europe. But uh, Pawa, as we know today, 
was kind of originated among the warrior societies. And like I said, they're talking about Winnebago, Nebraska. You know, we honored uh, one of our great chiefs uh, who fought in the war uh, back in the uh, wars uh, among the Dakota people, the Hotongra, the uh, yeah, I'm forgetting all the titles, but uh, I'm sorry, Randy, but again, uh, thinking about the history of Little Chief, Little Priest, and uh, him coming back mortally wounded, and uh, it was a honoring, there was a ceremony conducted, and there were certain songs that were sung, uh, Bear Clan songs, uh, Grizzly Bear songs, and uh, from that became the origin, perhaps, of the, one of the oldest Baupawas today. And thus today, you know, we see power. We, I always, oftentimes say I credit the Omaha people for bringing power today because they originated what we call the grass dance. The grass dance uh, is a reflection of the return of many of our warriors where they brought home war trophies or, lack of a better word, the scalps that were taken in battle. They incorporated them into the regalia, thus creating what you see in the grass dance outfit. Later on, it was uh, replaced by the grass and eventually by rib, ribbon and fringe that you see today. But we still, again, honor and we think about the Omaha people and what they brought to us. Later on, this uh, dance expanded. Many other nations or tribes took that as kind of a way of life. Uh, there was a meeting held back in the 1750s where uh, there were a number of horses, I believe, the Hochungara, the Winnebago, and the Arikara, the Dakota people uh, participated in this meeting, and they bought this dance from the Omaha. It was around Sioux Falls area, and then from there, it expanded. The Arikara, of course, taking it up to the Fort Berthel, sharing with the Adasa, a kind of a snowball chain effect. The Dakota, you know, Lakota spread two ways, you know, the, to the north and to the west. And to the Hochongara people, it went eastward to the woodland people. But yet the original story still remained the same when we talk about the origin and looking at the, at that time, they called it the uh, green grass dance. The green grass dance later became the friendship dance. And then come to what we realize is Hedushka today, with Chipi among the Dakota. It has different terminologies, but perhaps the oldest terminology is Hedushka. Hirushka uh, was uh, the Ho-Chunk word meaning uh, to fight. That's the original. And I oftentimes say to trace origins here in, the, um, in North America is by language. We look to language. You look at the origin. There's uh, basically about nine or ten different language bases throughout North America, the United States, and Canada. And from that, uh, derived through history, the introduction of the European people uh, change the language somewhat. A lot of the tribes, for example, from Oklahoma originated in the Northern Plains. Many of them came from the Great Lakes region. And from that, you know, through the language and through time, they started accepting uh, different lifestyles, different ways, different interpretations. But again, going back to the beginning, you know, we're talking about back in the 1700s. And then there was a meeting that was held up in uh, Bowbells, from what I understand, uh, from the Cree people. There was a meeting held with the Arikara, the Hidatsa, the Mandan, uh, where they exchanged, just like they did down in Sioux Falls, and took the dance to Canada, expanded to the Cree, to the Blackfoot, to many of the powwow, I lack a better word, again, tribes throughout Canada started taking this way of life. 
perhaps I say today and looking at, for example, traditional dance, the most influential uh, nation that uh, derived what we see dance today uh, was the Dakota people. They took the tail feather societies. We look to regalia uh, many times as a reflection of uh, our warriors. When they came home, I use when I MC powers, I usually like to introduce the beginning and saying that when our warriors came home from battle, they would stop at the edge of the village and they would lower their hair, they would paint their face, and they would put their war trophies on. They would come into the middle of the, the village, and from there they would uh, they would share, you know, their stories. They would pass on the rights of feathers, uh, designs, the uh, color combinations that we use. We believe that every tribe, every clan has basically four different colors. So long ago, we could identify a certain clan, a certain tribe, just by looking at color combinations or by designs, the regalia. We look at the tail feather bustles, you know, that was basically introduced by the Dakota people. The Woodlands people didn't really have that among the Hotongara. You know, I think back uh, looking at the ancient picture, the old pictures of long ago, back dating back 300, 400 years ago, you know, they were basically... Uh, Floral design, they used, uh, for example, the otter. The otter played a big important part in the woodlands culture. It was a reflection of like the tail feather societies of the plains. Uh, is a reflection of war, uh, the warrior societies. Because of a lot of the tribes or nations that uh, basically were relocated, moved down, relocated down to Oklahoma, for example, you'll still see that certain respect uh, of the otter. You'll notice they do not wear their feathers like the northern plains, but they wear the ta- the trailers, they call it, the otter furs that go down their back, or they wear their, the uh, otter turbans. That, again, is a reflection of the warrior societies long ago. And so that, again, is partially one part of when we look at regalia, what it represents and where it comes from. When you look at origins, we look at the uh, regalia itself. You look at the background. When For many of the bead workers, when you look at the background, uh, that usually tells where they come from. For example, the Southern Plains, you will use a lot of yellow, brighter colors. You look at the woodlands area, they use the color green, such as what I wear in my regalia. And the designs, again, are a reflection of my clan, my belief, my spirit, so to speak. And I'll get to that a little later. But again, it's uh, uh, everything has a certain identity. Used to be up into the 1950s and 60s that you could identify uh, a dancer out there just by looking at the regalia. Today, it's pretty hard because everybody copies from one another. Everything somewhat become Pan-American. And so now people co- copy from one another. And of course, money had a big influence on the contemporary powers of today. I like to kind of address and go back to the spirit of power, the origin of power. Uh, my people, you know, many of the Northern Plains, we do not take our feathers lightly, for example, oftentimes say, you know, that never put an eagle feather on your head unless you have the right to. Rights are perhaps one of the right, the right to have anything is perhaps the most misunderstood word in our culture. Long ago, a right was based on the taking of a human life. In other words, uh, given to us by our warriors especially among the Hochangara people, we are a warrior-based people, warrior-based nation. 
where that uh, everything that we wear, our regalia, our colors, our designs, our, our reflection of our clan affiliation uh, and the rights bestowed upon us by our veterans, our warriors before us. The feathers, we have ceremonies among the Hochongara, for example, when a feather is given, when someone comes to me and gives me tobacco to feather their daughter, their sister, or a young person, a new member to the Pala circle, a warrior is often given tobacco to bestow that honor. And from there, there's usually a giveaway. And people say, well, when we have giveaways, you know, what do you give? I oftentimes say, well, what is the human life worth to you? That's what you put in as much as what you share and give to the people. Among the Ho-Chongara people, a warrior is given that right um, to, to honor that child or that woman relative. And from there, they will share a story. Now, our war stories among the uh, many of the Northern Plains, I'm talking about the Dakota, Lakota, Ho-Chongara people, uh, the Rikuras, you know, many of the tribes in the North, the Crow people, uh, a warrior is given that right, given tobacco, and, and he must tell a war story, a story of an actual combat, something not necessarily of the spirit, or excuse me, the uh, story of that feather, but again, the enemy that was taken. Every feather, every plume that uh, someone wears on their head is an enemy that was taken in battle. So we think and revere that in a certain way. The individuals that I have feathered myself will wear a red tip, a red plume on their feather, which signifies that the person that gave that to them was wounded in combat. So again, that's very honorable, very respected in many of the societies, the warrior societies of the North. Again, today, you know, like I said, I like to kind of go back and I talk about the old ways, the traditional ways of our forefathers. Uh, songs were composed in honor of the bravery of many of our, the return of many of our warriors. Songs were composed in what they perhaps had seen in battle. I think, for example, of the little priest songs of what, what he had seen in battle, the, the coup that he brought back, the war trophies that he brought back, the stories that we share to within our own lodges. The Hochungara people, we have two, originally two different religions. The first religion is that of the medicine, the uh, war bundle religion, the war bundle society. And over the years, we adapted from the Menominee and the Ojibwe. Uh, we adopted the medicine, uh, Medewin Lodge. But these are, again, all a reflection of our societies, the history of what we share among our warrior society. But again, powwow, powwow it has many different interpretations to the traditional people. We say it means to give to give, to honor, to give to, you know, to the people, to share. I myself been, received many times bundles, materials, but I cannot keep that. I share that with my rel women relatives. That is an honor because they carry my spirit with them. That's maybe perhaps that's perhaps why I'm still here today. I try to try to rekindle and keep our old histories, our knowledge of our old stories and what I was taught. I'm only a reflection of my uncles, my grandfathers before me, the teaching of my elders. I have not uh, veered too off from, veered off too much from, uh, my, in my stories of uh, how I was taught. There's a certain formality involved in telling a war story, and thus you see that at all powers. Uh, most all Northern Plains people adopt that and have always had that 
since time immemorial, I guess, so to speak. So again, uh, to many of the young people out there, uh, never put a feather on your head because so-and-so has one or put feathers, put things on your regalia because so-and-so, a big champion wears that. Always inquire, you talk to your uncles, your grandfathers, and, and they will in turn, if knowledgeable, will tell you about the origins and uh, the warrior societies of long ago. So powwow, in essence, is uh, a reflection of the return of the warriors. The stories that are shared, the rites that are passed on, the songs that are, again, honoring the return of the warriors. Some of these uh, family songs, honor songs, veteran songs today have become a part of, we say, flag songs, a part of uh, honoring songs, uh, known like flag songs that were basically belonged at one time to a particular warrior, a particular family. And later it was adopted by perhaps a tribe or a nation and became a flag song. Today, you know, the advent of uh, contests and especially the big money powers, you know, you're looking at first place being $50,000, for example, and a lot of the major powers, uh, and a lot of them are always looking at originality, creating new songs, and uh, giving credit to, you know, I've seen how power has evolved. I've also seen how music has evolved. Long ago, uh, songs, uh, again, they... Uh, they really were not considered word song. You know, they basically uh, were loose phonetics, so to speak. And later on in the late uh, 1970s, groups like Chiniki Lake, Stony Park came out with a lot of word song. I remember a lot of tribes or nations were uh, kind of objected to it, but became a craze. And I do cra uh, credit them at the beginning with a lot of the word songs, the themes of today. Uh, from there, it evolved uh, uh, Red Bull, I think of them, Pigeon Lake, a lot of the Cree tribes started up, a lot of Dakota people. You know, I, I invited uh, Chiniki and Stony Park down to Bismarck. Bismarck back in the early 1970s was kind of the main power, the main ones. And when the Stonies came down uh, from Alberta, they brought a lot of the word songs with them. And People, you know, the Creed, the Dakota people kind of kind of felt had mixed emotions about word song because they belonged to warriors. And a lot of those songs back then talked about uh, the beauty of dance, the spirit of dance. Uh, I have to think about when I think about powwow music, I think Chiniki uh, Lake, for example, uh, Rod Hunter, we know him as Sonny, but Rod Hunter uh, composed a lot of beautiful songs and top 10 and the hit parade, you know, the songs back then. And I stayed among them. I used to sweat and go to the ceremonies. I stayed in Morley. And I asked him one time, you know, Rod, I said, Sonny, uh, where do you get these songs from? You know, and I kind of chuckled. He looked at me. We're going into Calgary. And he said, you know, you look at uh, that little window right there. He said that little window on the side, open it up a little bit. And you can hear that wind kind of whistling. He said, when I'm driving by myself, I listened to that. I opened up that little window, and believe it or not, he said, I hear a melody off that. And I said, yeah, wow. You know, that's where that song, and yeah, that's where it comes from. And I have a little tape recorder, and uh, I take that whistling song, and I make a song out of that. Then I think about a theme, maybe a woman dancer, an individual, and I'll talk about it in that song. So that's how I create songs. But originally, you know, uh, for a lot of the people, that are singers uh, long ago, 
you know, it was kind of a, a map, you know, before the introduction of the European people, the, the white people, so to speak, you know, uh, we used a song to take us from one place to another. You hear about these songs they call trail songs. Well, it basically tells you where you're at. Uh, how I learned this was when I recall going to Morley for the first time. I was riding with uh, Joe uh, Joe Roan, and we were going down to Apollo's. He kind of introduced me to Morley. We're looking up at Yamnuska, and he said, there's a beautiful, among the Cree people, he said, there's a beautiful song. If you look up at that mountain, that's the highest point, and you'll follow the trail, the lay of the land, and how it comes down. The Cree people, we know this valley. We know Morley by this song. And then when I relocated, I was born here in New Mexico. And I came down here and getting to know the Pueblo people, begin to find and tracing a lot of their songs and their origins, their history. You know, they talk about a time when they resided down in Mexico and how they were relocated, how they moved and migrated up into to New Mexico area. You know, they, they're area, so to speak, was all the way to Las Vegas, Mexico, northern Mexico, to Las Vegas, southern Colorado, uh, uh, Oklahoma, Texas. You know, this was Pueblo country. But back then, when you look at music, they did the same thing. They have songs that are reflections of spirit that reside in southern Colorado. Same here in New Mexico. You look at Sandia, the mountains. Each of these areas, you know, have certain songs that depict Again, that are used in their ceremony. So you apply the same principle to powwow. That's where a lot of the songs came as well. So that to me was kind of the origin of songs way back. And it was a way of how to uh, move from one place to another by song. So, uh, but again, today times have changed. And now people are creating songs from just about anything and everything. You know, and I look at melodies, you look at some of the Big groups today, Northern Cree, uh, Young Spirit. I think of our groups here in New Mexico. I like the credit, you know, Black Eagle. I think about, uh, you know, we got a lot of groups. Uh, Taos, I think each Pueblo, we got a lot of beautiful singing groups there. I'd say about 16 good groups around here. And I oftentimes say, don't copy from other tribes. You know, you got your own music, your own style, you know, your own originality. Keep it here in New Mexico. The same thing that I offer and say to many of the other tribes and other regions, you know, uh, kind of throw a little story into a little joke into it. You know, I, I say, you know, you look at the lay of the land, how beautiful it is. Every song starts at a high point and it goes down to the lowest point. You follow that. That's kind of how the format of songs. And then you go back to the halfway point and you go to your second part. Of the song. Well, yeah, you can say that here in the Southwest, but you go to Nebraska and Kansas. They must only have one song because it's all flat. (laughs) (laughs) That's so interesting you said that to me because when I compose my music, I take pictures of of of, uh, my homeland and of Pasquera Cree Nation. And that's where my music comes from is the landscape. And I I point, like each point, the tree line or the valley it, 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 I graph it out on, on, a, on a music scale, and that's where my melodies come from. Exactly. And I think that's kind of our message to a lot of the new groups that are coming up, you know, those that are composing songs. And think about the origins and histories. I remember, you know, when people start first copying uh, Chiniki and Stony Park, you know, they were 
they created a lot of loose fanatics. I think about Red Nation, uh, I think about Iabe, a lot of these groups over in Minnesota, North Dakota, that took a lot of these songs, that style that they were created back then. But they didn't have any words in their songs. They were just loose phonetic, loose terms. And I asked uh, one of my brothers, Terry, you know, over in the Abbey, I said, hey, uh, where did you get your song from? Oh, it created a song. We just kind of came up with a melody. Well, what does it mean, you know? Incidentally, you know, when you hear a beautiful song as a dancer, you know, and you want to know the history, you feel the spirit, you take some tobacco and you go over to that lead singer and you give it to them and ask them, you know, and it's always respectful that maybe you give them something, maybe some tobacco, a little bit of gas money or coffee money or whatever, you know, but give them some tobacco and they should be able to tell you the origin of that song and what the words mean. But back in the 70s, 80s, you know, a lot of these groups, Red Nation, a lot of the Eagle Tail, a lot of these guys that didn't have, you know, a grasp of their language, just put on a whole bunch of, put any terms that kind of fit, mixed and match. But today, you know, a lot of the uh, trends have changed. Uh, a lot of the northern, a lot of the Crees, for example, are probably the most copied. The Dakota people as well, too. You know, I, I have to give credit to a lot of the people. Here in the Southwest, the same thing. Oklahoma, all my southern brothers, you know, they, a lot of your songs, you know, go back. Family songs go back, you know, some over 100 years ago, you know. I think about the Gord Dance, a lot of their original styles. Of Omaha, the Punka. The Kiowa, you know, Pawnees, some of those tribes that originated from the northern plains, you know, they took a lot of the songs, the traditions to their community and somewhat has evolved to today. The reflection of perhaps centuries old stories and origins, you know, so that's, I like to say, I credit a lot of the brothers, you know. One of the other ones I had, one of my brothers, uh, Joe B, I think a lot of powwow people know him. Joe B asked me to, hey boy, you know, talk about, uh, origin history, you know, both of us being fancy dancers, you know, you know, tell them about fancy dance. And I kind of wanted to share a little story with a lot of the young guys because fancy dance is perhaps one of the older as well. Too, uh, but, you know, it originated back in the late 1800s uh, when the Buffalo Bill Wild West shows used to tour overseas and uh, they, uh, looking to entertain audiences. Of course, back then, you know, in the 1800s, Dance, dance was somewhat stoic. They didn't have the feathers and basically an apron and maybe a little noisemaker, whatever, you know, no shirt, no elaborate beadwork or anything like that. And they would come out and circle the wagons, you know, that kind of theme. You know, you look at the stereotypical circle the wagons thing that Buffalo Bill uh, incorporated in a lot of his shows. And so there were a lot of Dakota people that went on these shows, a lot of tribes. Pawnee Bill took some people over there and and what happened, uh, they found it kind of rather boring. These the Indians kind of walk around and the dance really wasn't what you see today. So I oftentimes say that Buffalo Bill had an influence. He told the dancers to put more feathers on, put more bells on. And the drum beat back then was a basic one-two beat. You know, that old Hollywood beat, dum, 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 dum. You know, kind of, I kind of chuckled about that. But that was the beat back in the late 1800s. And so he asked him to pick up the tempo. That's what you see today. You know, you look at the fancy dancers, you know, say, well, you know, where did it come from? I say, well, if you look at Buffalo Bill, Pawnee Bill, you know, they took that interpretation down to Oklahoma and some tribes claim to have be the origin of it. But like I say, it's kind of Pan-American. And 
you look at the incorporation of feathers, beads. But I might say today, looking at regalia, back to my early days, you know, back in the early 50s, some of the regalia today is perhaps some of the most beautiful I've ever seen in my life. But but a lot of the origins of what I was talking about earlier, colors and design, uh, uh, lost a lot of the origin, the meaning of it. Because uh, you look at some of the movies, even they had an influence on powwow. You know, when Little Big Man came out, for example, you know, that guy come out with the horns, you know, and kind of come out uh, and he hit Little Big Man over the head and he had these bones on his face, you know, on that buffalo headdress. And I cracked up when I was looking at that. And as soon as I saw that movie for the first time, I said, you know, I wonder what, how long it's going to take before that hits uh, powwow. I'll be darned, you know, within two weeks, I went to Apollo and there were three guys that come out with these bones hanging in their face. And the same thing with uh, painting your face. You know, when you see Kiss, for example, they have this star they're all painted up. And how long is that going to take before that, that happens? And I left there credit uh, Tim White Eyes, uh, Omaha boy that started coming out in powwows. Or first, one of the first guys that come out painting his whole face and, uh, I remember when he came up to Montana, eventually up to Alberta, Canada, had an influence on a lot of the young people. Now you go to a lot of the powwows up there, you know, people all painting up their faces. And sometimes you see Kiss, you see that star and that mustache look like a cat. I look at some of these guys today and I think, yeah, yeah, they, you know, how much the media has affected dance, how much money has affected powwow. But again, when you look at the origin of painting, uh, that was a reflection of a uh, spirit, the spirit. You know, you look at the paint, what the red means, you know, and what the black means, time of death, taking coup, counting coup on the enemy. Uh, each again has its own, each tribe or nation kind of has its own interpretation. I often warn a lot of my students, uh, I never put black dots on your face because black dots is only time that we bury someone. You know, you sometimes paint, the, we never tattoo, but you paint them. A certain way when you lay them down, return them back to Mother Earth. There's a purpose and a reason for it. When you put the red mark or the markings on their eyes and on their face, the same holds true for dance. You have to be very, very careful and very respectful. So, uh, but it's something that, again, Pan America, you know, we look at powwows today, the contemporary powwows, everybody copies from one another. Again, I have to say, uh, a tradition that I saw among the Cree people. I lived up in Cree countries from, uh, well, I would say the 70s, or I stayed up there, powered up there from mid 70s to 2005. And one thing I saw up there, you know, in ceremony, I really admired the Cree was not only their music, but their tradition, their culture. The Cree people, when young boys see a dancer, a big champion, you know, they would go over and give them tobacco, give them some tobacco and give them something. Is it all right if I copy your this part of your regalia, how you wear your feathers, how you paint your face? You know, uh, many other people don't do that today, but I find it rather respectful. I credit again the Cree people for adopting that kind of tradition, uh, passing of the tobacco. Tobacco is another area that uh, it's not a it's not a payment. Tobacco. Is, a, is an invitation. Invitation, someone gives me tobacco, they ask for information, or they ask me to come to their power, come to their ceremony. 
that tobacco is an invitation to say that I will take care of you. I will give you a bed to sleep in. I will feed you. I will take care of you. So you come to my ceremony, my power. Some people misconstrue that tobacco and go put it on a drum and say, that's payment. That's really what not the purpose of that tobacco is. It's an invitation. It's a preparation, you know. And so many of the traditional tribes today use that tobacco in that sense. When we look at uh, spirituality in the world of power, uh, sage is used for the body. This is a long-held tradition, centuries-old tradition. Sage is to protect the body. They will put it in their pocket, sometimes in their moccasins. Part of the regalia is to protect the individual. Cedar is to protect an object like a pipe, your feathers, something material. Uh, you will wrap it in cedar. Uh, your fan, your medicine, anything that uh, has somewhat sacredness, it's it's put, it's covered with, uh, it's uh, covered and wrapped in cedar. Sweet grass is for the mind. When you have bad dreams and you can't sleep at night, or your children that have bad dreams, or perhaps someone passed on in your family, the sweet grass has come out and it and then it's utilized to again to appease the spirit and what uh in appeasing the spirit when you call upon them tobacco uh, i guess it can add a little bit more to it tobacco is the most sacred of all our, our objects all our medicines and possesses a, a communication between the physical world and the spiritual world so when we offer tobacco when we smoke those we put it in our pipe you know and we utilize it in a sense that we are communicating with the great spirit Mauna in my language, you know, you communicate that smoke that goes up, you carry it with through prayers. So again, those are the basic ones. Other areas, they use bitter root, they mean pine needles. Each kind of, each tribe or each area, region has somewhat their own uh, variations of uh, incense, so to speak. Even in the church, you know, you look at the Vatican. I was over in Rome on tour, you know, many years ago, and they used the incense as they come down in their prayers. The same thing, it's no different than Indian country. We utilize it in ceremony. I, myself, I am, again, very respectful of it and, and teaching a lot of my students, you know, the meaning of what it truly means. Uh, what brings the spirit to a ceremony, to the world of power, because we utilize all these incense, uh, these scents to bring spirit they're attracted to certain scents, to certain smells. And so that's how I have used it over the years. I use it in ceremony in the same sense because it attracts certain spirits. We talk about spirituality, talk about learning. And it's part of one of my classes I have today, um, learning, teaching. You know, I wondered, one of my crow grandfathers, Tom Yellowtail, you know, I used to go to his sun dances then. Yeah, out on that center pole and and people would line up and they'd give him tobacco and he would lay it down on the on the ground. As he laid it down and he would pray. It'd be maybe 30, 40 people. And I used to wonder, well, my grandfather's in his seventies and eighties, how could he remember every one of these prayers and purposes? So in a sweat, you know, we're going in a sweat and I asked him in a nice way, you know, grandfather, how do you remember? All of that, every prayer, 
as he lays it down a certain way on that blanket, on that uh, buffalo robe. And uh, he said, Sam, and I thought about that, you know, over the years and being a traditionalist, I thought about later on when I went to school and come down here to New Mexico. And, you know, as many students, you know, a lot of us college students here tend to procrastinate, wait till the last minute, you know, and, and uh, you know, you cram the night before exams. And I thought of my grandfather and what he said, sent, you know. And so, you know, I, I utilize, and there's another element to it is, Utilize cologne. Cologne can also be utilized like sweet grass, cedar, sage. In the world of powwow, you come out into the arena, you can smell all kinds of fragrances, Indian perfume, different colognes. And sometimes the women come by, it smells like a bunch of lilac bushes, so to speak. But again, drawing certain spirits to dance. In my dance classes, I always utilize uh, cologne perfume as a way to develop or evolve your own spirit. In dance, it's the same thing. But beyond that, I think about what my grandfather taught me. So I thought about that. And so, you know, the night when I was studying, I put some cologne on. And next day, I went into my class and uh, I put it on again. I got out of my locker. And I went in and lo and behold, I aced all my exams. Because utilizing, learned from the Indian native culture that you can remember things by scent. And so when you think about the purpose of cedar, sweetgrass, sage, the cologne that we use in powwows sometimes, the scent, it has a spirit to it. And so I'm talking about spirituality in a sense of powwow and how we come together. And it's a beautiful way, you know, and, and I tell my students a lot of times and students over the years, you know, I've been teaching dance since the 80s and 1980s and some of them come to me and they laugh and they hold up. Hey, I have my spirit with me. I still utilize that cologne. I said, oh, you learned something. And another area that I kind of really wanted to address to the people today in the world of power is the term sacredness. Sacred and secrecy are the same. You can't separate those two words, sacred and secrecy. As long as something is secret, it maintains the power of sacredness. The minute you expose something, a prayer, perhaps someone goes out and sun dances or goes out and fast. Next day, they're writing a book about it. And they're telling everything that they saw. You know, you think about that, you know, they destroyed all the sacredness. Our ceremonies, our lodges back home, our bundles, everything has a certain sacredness to it. Our pipes are sacred. Never bring them to a powwow. Our women are sacred. Our women, we hold them in high honor. High, we bestow high honors on them, especially as warriors. In the world of power, we do the same. Women, we hold them in high esteem. They have the power to create life, but they also can hurt us as well. We have to be very careful with our women. And the term, I guess, is having their monthly cycle. One does not go near powwow. One does not go near ceremony. In time of their monthly, you know, and so sacredness is something that we have to be very careful of. Those medicine bundles should not be brought to powwow. Those pipes should not be brought to powwow. And even using the word, I hear people at powwow, some MCs will say, the sacred, uh, sacred dance, you know, sacred song, we don't want anybody to record it. Then I have to say, then why are you singing it? 
And I'm very careful. I never use the word sacred when I talk about power. Eagle whistles. Eagle whistles do not belong in power. It's a time of ceremony, a time of Sundance. And uh, some people, young, young people today that may not have this knowledge, bring Sundance whistles to power because they don't understand. You know, there's two circles, you know, one that is sacred and one that is power. And by the overlapping these two circles, that's where you create this confusion today. What is termed sacred? Sacred has its own circle. Ceremony, religion should remain at home. You know, and, and I think I told you during one of the, my texts or past conversations that, uh, you know, when we talk about sacredness, you know, it should always remain at home. Be careful. Be careful how you talk. Be careful how you conduct yourself. Because whatever you say about someone, word's going to get to them. Sometimes it might be ten, tenfold. But always be very careful of what you say in a world of power. A warrior, when speaking, should never tell a lie, especially at power, time of ceremony, in our lodges. When he stands up and speaks, people should listen. And learn your own customs. Learn your own traditions first before you go on the outside world. Your rights that you have at home doesn't necessarily apply to another tribe, another region, another area, unless that arena director or that elder might come up to you and give you tobacco. I want you to take care of that feather pickup. I want you to take care of that ceremony, lead us. Then I will perhaps probably follow suit. But again, uh, never push force your traditions, your culture uh, on other people. So only when asked, only when given tobacco is an invitation will I assist someone else. The same with feathering somebody. I do not cross clan lines. Each clan, you depend on your uncles, your grandfathers, your big brothers to conduct that ceremony. Times I have been asked by other clans to come and help to feather someone, to give a name to them, to name their son. Uh, then uh, they come and give me tobacco and ask me. And, and I oftentimes have to say, I'm sorry, I wish I could help you, but I can't. That belongs within your clan, within your tribe. For me, if I go and do that ceremony, I'm disrespecting your tradition, your way. But if you cannot find anyone, then I will do the ceremony for you. But I've had to do that many times at different powers. The same with uh, name giving. Name giving was given uh, by our warriors. It's in a spirit of not necessarily taking of a life as a spirit of something that you encountered in battle, something that you saw that we give names to individuals. We do not give names of our grandfathers, big brothers, or pass it on to somebody. It's always given by a warrior, a warrior in ceremony. You can't just merely say, okay, grandson, from this day on, this is your story, this is your spirit. You know. So Again, that's another ceremony. You have to be very careful, very respectful. But again, you know, Paul as a whole, it's more than, as you said at the beginning, more than a profession. It's a way of life, a way of life for many of us. Uh, and it's a, it's a good road. It's a good journey. Be respectful of one another. Love one another. Sometimes we lose someone and somebody may say, well, oh, well this person was not necessarily all that good. I was in trouble. You know, maybe, oh, it's good to see him. You know, he's gone. Now. I have to say, hey, you know. Think about who replaces them. Because in that circle, that Hedushka circle, we're all family. Whether we're singers, dancers, 
even spectators. So we're all related, we're all family, and we think in a good way. And so I hope, you know, I hope that kind of clarifies what you're saying is, again, a way of life for our people. I've told one side, and I'm sure many other warriors will say the same, you know, those that are taught. And I often try to help as many warriors as a veteran. I sat on the, the uh, National Vietnam Veterans Board, the Indian portion of it, and uh, done a lot of workshops and I'm always there to help out my fellow warriors and I don't charge for it. Somebody wants me to come in, I help out with what I can, teaching them there's certain steps we use, there's certain ways how we conduct ourselves and uh, how to do the ceremony. There's a certain protocol, but I'm always willing to share that as a red feather. I also want to acknowledge all my Dakota, Lakota brothers, uh, the veterans, all the combat veterans are out there. I want to acknowledge all of you and brothers that are turning in tonight today and uh, tonight and my sisters you know carry that spirit on and uh and always with respect i love and miss each and every one of you and i wish i could be there today but uh, again this covid gives me a little time to think and being able to speak to you tonight and so i hope that you have learned you know those that have listened learned something and, and if you have a little maybe different uh understanding of it talk to your grandfather talk to your uncle Talk to the veterans, you know, talk to your traditional elders, and uh, it perhaps will reinforce it. They, too, will also share their story as well. So, again, Rhonda, I really, really appreciate, you know, being able to speak tonight, and uh, and hopefully we shall continue. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing all that and your knowledge and, and uh, especially spirituality and uh, the protocols of the Apollo arena and yeah, just thank you for sharing all that. That's, that's I, was, I was learning a lot as well, listening to you. And I'm sure um, the viewers that, that have tuned in were enjoyed your uh, what you shared this evening. I just want to thank everyone for tuning in this evening. And um, yeah, like that, thank you for being my 60, 61st guest for Indigenous <laughs> Superstars. And I know you, you sent me a text earlier saying that... Um, you didn't consider yourself a, a superstar, and and uh, you're not the first one to say that to me that I've interviewed on the Palo Trail. They're all telling me that, but but you know what? There 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 is celebrities in the Palo Trail, and and uh, like you say, the young people look up to you and uh, up to the to the celebrities, and they'll you know go like the Cree Cree, Cree people. You're saying the the Cree youth are going and offering tobacco. Uh, it, uh, like they're they're role models, and and it's just it's a real beautiful way of life, and and not only um, there's protocols to to adhere to, there there's there's also like working out. You have to be you have to be in good physical condition in order to dance, right? Well, in dancing, I as I kind of want to close off. You know, a long a guy one time long ago told me that you know power is a religion, and I kind of stated that. Uh, I disagree because we have our way of life back home, our religion. I guess we don't call it religion. We call it way of life. And uh, and I thought about over the years being a power man. And that was that happened about 50 years ago. And today, you know, I, I do see what he was talking about, spirituality in the power circle, healing, family making, uh, prayer. You know, but it's a different form of spirituality. But it's a good circle. There is a lot of healing. You listen to the music and the melody. And uh, and again, it's uh, something they've always practiced. And 
for a lot of the newbies, people that are new generation, millennials, so to speak, respect. Think, respect your elders, respect your parents, listen when they speak, you know, and uh, those that don't, you know, that listen with their mouth to the ones that are always going to fall to the wayside. So you think about dance, it's a good circle. It's a very respectful circle. And I guess in closing, I kind of wanted to say, you know, uh, if you have a gift, share it. If you have a weakness, don't be afraid to ask for help. I hope. Thank you for that, boy. And yes, um, I was told too, if you have a gift, it, it's your duty to share it, to share it with the world. <laughs> so, so thank you for being my guest this evening. Uh, I just want to let people know that my next guest, it, my next musical guest on Monday is Dale Mack from Saskatchewan. And my Paolo guest is Donna Pratt from Sioux Valley. So I'm looking forward to interviewing them next week. And I want everyone to stay safe, stay healthy, sanitize your hand, wear a mask and, and social distance so we can see each other again on the Paolo Trail. Because I know I'm getting a new dress made and I can't wait to, to bring it out. <laughs> right on, right on. Next time, yeah. put my halo up there. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you for for uh, for being my guest tonight and and uh, and sharing your knowledge with with all of us. All my brothers in Canada, I miss you. Yeah, um, we all miss you oh. too. No. Like I say. No. No. Tune in again next time when Rhonda interviews another up and coming Indigenous superstar. Only on Indigenous Superstar.